Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hi! So today I want to talk about the Targaryen prophecy and not just about its content but about who had this prophecy and how this explains quite a lot of the things that have happened. I already have said in my video about the Helper Maiden that I believe Visenya was the one with the dream and not Aegon. But here I will explain why. I will talk about Visenya, of course, but first we have to talk about and understand this prophecy as well as dragon dreams in general as best as we can. So hang in there and take a cup of tea or coffee or whatever else you might prefer and let's go. So what exactly did the prophecy say? It was a dream. And just as Danis foresaw the end of Valyria, Aegon foresaw the end of the world of men. It is to begin with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north. I, Rickon Stark, Lord of Winterfell. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds, and whatever dwells within will destroy the world of the living. When this great winter comes, Rhaenyra, all of Westeros must stand against it. And if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. A king or queen, strong enough to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. Aegon called his dream the Song of Ice and Fire. This is what Viserys said, vaguely what was said to him by Zaharis, I imagine. And we learned that the dagger glyphs translate to From my blood come the prince that was promised and his will be the Song of Ice and Fire. A translation we know for a fact isn't correct. No one ever looked for a girl, he said. It was a prince that was promised, not a princess. Rhaegar, I thought. The smoke was from the fire that devoured Summerhall on the day of his birth. The salt from the tears shed for those who died. He shared my belief when he was young, but later he became persuaded it was his own son who fulfilled this prophecy. For a comet had been seen above King's Landing on the night Aegon was conceived. And Rhaegar was certain the bleeding star had to be a comet. What fools we were who thought ourselves so wise. The error crept in from the translation. Dragons are neither male nor female, but saw the truth of that. But now one, and now the other, as changeable as flame. Apparently, the inscription talks about a dragon, without stating the sex, because dragons do not have distinct sexes, kinda like the new Mexico whiptail lizard, which reproduces entirely asexually. The species doesn't have two sexes, and some of them just birth eggs. From the way Amon is explaining the whole situation, the translation must be closer to From my blood come the dragon that was promised, and theirs will be the song of ice and fire. First of all, this line sounds way more like a prophetic dream, since we know they see very symbolic things. Second, it makes it a two-meaning prophecy, like again most of them are, since it could be about a real dragon and eggs hatching, but also about a Targaryen and not a real dragon. Notice how when they saw this dream for the first time, they talked about their successors and kids. The moment the dragons died, they started to think that, oh, it is about hatching eggs, let's do that. And third, it makes sense if we think of the dreams many Targaryens had through the years. Bright Flame thought that he would become a dragon if he drank wildfire. He thinks he is a dragon in human form, you know, that's why he was so wroth at the puppet show. And we know from Maester Aemon and the Duncan Egg novels that all the brothers had dreams and in them they saw dragons and not humans. Arion saw himself as a dragon and Daron the Drunken saw a dragon dying before Baylor's death. So not only does the prophecy itself not talk about a prince per se, but it is also altered a bit every time someone repeats it or has similar dreams that they interpret as they themselves think best. The translations or interpretations of this prophecy are not correct and we see the word prince in the common tongue 
because it was supposed to pass from ruler to ruler, and since they were following the underlaw, the successor was a man. But nowhere in the prophecy do we see a man, but only a dragon. They see that someone from their line will bring dragons back to life, or that they would be transformed into a dragon. People, even Targaryens, do not know how to recognize a dragon's sex. They just say they are sea dragons when they make eggs. So obviously, if someone was to hatch eggs again, it would be a woman. Why is Danny a princess and not a prince? I made this choice a long time ago, but I think I wanted to play a little with gender roles and reverse things a little. And of course, mother of dragons, in my mind, it's much better than father of dragons. There is the connection between the woman who brings forth life, carrying a huge power of death, fire and destruction. There are very powerful metaphors in there. So whether people like it or not, as far as the Targaryen prophecy goes, it is finally fulfilled and it is about Daenerys. Even if Jon is a Targaryen, and I personally think he is, his mother's bloodline is his storyline. He is a Stark, even if he is a Snow. He is a warg, his wolf can skin change into other wolves and had red eyes. He is the green seer of the dire wolves. He also has the Stark looks, he has the temperament and the eyes in his blood. In the Song of Ice and Fire, Jon is the eyes. Other people also have dreams, not just the Darks. That means that many people are involved in all this and are also important. And Daenerys is one of them, the one that Targaryen dreams were about. And this brings me to a very hot topic inside the fandom, Targaryen Madness. Targaryen Madness is something that has been talked about in the fandom for ages. But personally, I have never seen something particularly interesting being mentioned. Some Targaryens appear to be born mad, others may not display signs of madness when they are younger, but can develop it as the years go by, especially when circumstances encourage it. And one of the reasons for this is heavily hinted to be dragon dreams. The prophetic dreams heavily affect the dreamers. It's not because their bloodline is tainted, which, let's be honest, would be kind of a late writing, but the fact that they see bizarre shit that affects their sanity, add their upbringing and other experiences, and it's very easy to have people that aren't very mentally stable, sometimes to the point of being dangerous psychopaths. It is way more interesting, effective, and points out something that is commented a lot in the novels. At the end of the day, the choice of what you're gonna do with the information you get is yours to make. This is why the dreams are so vague. They give hints to the readers, but they themselves aren't the answer. This is the very nature of a prophecy. We also see that these dreams push many of them to an obsessive yearning for bringing dragons back to life, or they try to be the prince that was promised themselves. And this is where Zaharis made a huge mistake. And even though he himself was a good king, he didn't make any of his daughter an heir, because he was fixated on the word prince. The line must be continued by a prince. But the dream was just about a dragon. And this is where the first seeds of the dance were sown. There is a reason House of the Dragon began with the choice of Zaharis made, because he was partly responsible too. But obviously, this is not a very interesting thing. The very interesting thing is the fact that the men of the line tend to be unstable. While women not only aren't, they're actually pretty good at interpreting these dreams, maybe not fully, but they have the essence, the concept. The closest to a mad woman dreamer we have is actually Helena, and she was not mad in the way Ares and Arion were, she was very well liked, polite, kinda moony and aloof, yes, but surely not raving mad. She was described as mad in fire and blood after the blood and seal situation for obvious reasons. Even though House of the Dragon isn't very accurate as far as events go, the whole concept of the dreams and prophecies came from Martin, and will come up in the novels too. 
So Helena was most likely a dreamer, and even though she wasn't explained what she was seeing to others, it is obvious she was aware when shit was about to hit the fan. People we know were actually not stable are Eris, who was literally called the Mad King, Arion Targaryen, who died drinking a cup of wildfire, believing it would transform him into a dragon, and even before that, he was the worst person ever. Rhaegal, the son of Darion II, was also unstable. Even though not dangerous, he was meek and not very healthy. He was seen dancing naked around the palace sometimes. Baylor the Blessed was also not okay. He was pious to the point of not eating and praying all the time, not consummating his marriage and being crazily invested in his virginity and other people's virginity. <laughs> he walked the freaking Bonway barefoot and imprisoned all his sister into the Maiden Vault. By the way, amazing video about the Maiden Vault from Crowfoot's daughter and how this easily could have been because of dreams and prophecies. And most importantly, not only did he have a vision about building the Great Sept of Baylor on Visenya's hills specifically, he also attempted to birth new dragons by praying over his dragon egg for half a year. Yet his prayers were unanswered, obviously. <laughs> Pretty sure that if he, like other members of the family, had dreams about hatching eggs, they didn't point to praying. This is what he chose to do because he was extremely devout. This was his choice because it was on par with his beliefs and upbringing. The prophecies are not the solution, but the data of the problem that the dreamer is asked to solve. And there is always the possibility that the dreamer will turn mad in the process. This is why it's so difficult even for us readers to guess at the meaning of many of these prophecies and only after they are fulfilled we get what they meant. Men were way more invested and obsessive and in time they would turn mad because they believed it was a prince that was promised. So of course if they had the dream they should be the chosen one because doesn't everybody want to be the chosen one? It is so obvious that people started to think themselves as the prince the moment the dragons died out. The dragons died and so many of those who saw this dream specifically were sure they are going to be the prince. So when they were not and things didn't go as expected, they would start to go mad because things didn't ally with what they were sure was the case. And on top of that, many of them would have been through serious trauma such as wars and battles, death of loved ones, etc. Women dreamers we have seen are Daenerys, of course, who saw the dream before the buyer, and she woke up knowing what to do. I have seen people think of the whole scene as a coincidence, but it is clear it was not. It was very much intentional. She was sensing what to do. The reason she didn't kill herself after her marriage to Drogo was that she had a dragon dream. She knew that the eggs should stay hot, and she was sensing colors around them, way before the hatching, while she was pregnant. And of course Martin himself said, the whole point of the scene in A Game of Thrones where Daenerys hatches the dragons is that she makes the magic up as she goes along. She is someone who really might do anything. Helena, again, she knew that things were going to hell, unlike Viserys, who interpreted his dream very, very poorly. And it was not really trying to understand the dream, but wishful thinking. And, of course, the reason the Targaryens are still a thing was a woman dreamer, Daenys. When Daenys was still a maiden, she had a dream showing the destruction of Valyria by fire. And instead of trying to stop it and or warn other people, she told her family and they just left Valyria. They didn't try to stop it, because when you are trying to either change, delay or sped up a prophecy, chaos will occur, and you will have the opposite result. We even learned that visions written down by Danis before the Doom of Valyria were in a book called Signs and Portents, which is now lost and from which Archmaester Marvin claims to have found three pages of in his book of lost books. This thing, knowing how George Martin writes and how he does commentary, 
doesn't have to do so much with sex as with society in general. Women were taught to have way different values and morals than men, and we still see it to some extent. From a very young age, you are taught to be careful, to be rational, sensible, merciful, not self-centered, and to not provoke people even if they are the ones starting conflicts. And even though these are traits every person should have, women were and still are to some extent way more pressured to be like that. Men do not have the same pressure, and at that point they were actually discouraged from exhibiting any of these behaviors. They were told that they must be strong and passionate and go after everything they want, even if they must walk all over people. They can be aggressive and get involved not only if they are provoked, they could be the ones to start a fight. They were conquerors, hunters, etc. And it is obvious with the dreams here, the moment a man has a dream, he's like, oh my god, me? But what am I saying? Of course it's about me. Whereas Daenerys, no matter what people want to believe and say, doesn't see herself as the sole savior, but as a person who will use her power for good. And now his power grow, Khaleesi, and you are the cause of it. Me? She laughed. How could that be? The woman stepped closer and laid two fingers on Danny's wrist. You are the mother of dragons, are you not? The last woke dragons, and she doesn't believe she is above other people. Do we really believe that this would be the case if a man was in her place? Most likely not. We have seen people thinking they were the chosen ones, even before hatching eggs. On the mere thought of being able to hatch eggs, they were already Jesus in their minds. Imagine if they had actually done it. Upbringing and life experience are the real reason behind the madness and why men tend to get mad when women do not and are even better at acting accordingly from what we see in the novels. It is not a matter of sex per se, but most women had a different upbringing and life experiences than men. If this is the case, first of all, amazing commentary and way more creative than just, oh, madness is hereditary, it's in their blood. And more interesting story-wise also... Plus, it gives a better understanding of this and other similar quotes about the family. I am no maester to quote history to you, your grace. Swords have been my life, not books. But every child knows that the Targaryens have always danced too close to madness. Your father was not the first. King Zaharis once told me that madness and greatness are two sides of the same coin. Every time a new Targaryen is born, he said the gods toss the coin in the air and the world hold its breath to see how it will land. It isn't coin or the gods, people make their own choices. Even when you do not have many, you still can decide to some extent. Being like, oh, well, it's the gods, it's karma, it is what it is. It's not taking responsibility for your actions, and it is the main point of the series. The dreams give you the tools. Bloodraven and Quaith give more questions than answers, because our heroes must make their choice and accept the result, either good, bad, or useless, and then continue again and again and again, because that's life. And that brings us to Visenya. Let's start with the fact that it's often dismissed. Visenya was the oldest, and the Valyrians didn't have the same hereditary laws as the Andals, since they didn't even have houses. Hell, from the various stories we get, neither did the first men actually have similar laws. We have many stories about queens and warrior women and founders of houses that were female. The whole only men can inherit and rule and other bullshit were Andal customs. I'm not saying that the first men were on Roynish egalitarianism level but they were not as patriarchal and sexist as the Andals. The same goes for the Valyrians. We have female dragon riders and fighters like Visenya and Rhaenys, and explorers like Genera Baleris, and Danis was a scholar, apparently. And most warrior women we have from places around Westeros are from firstman houses and Dornish houses. And of course, in places like the Neck and over the Wall, we see that women have a way better place in society than what the Andal law expects of them. Visenya was a warrior. 
So it was thought the same stuff in the same way Aegon was thought. And not just that, throughout the novels, we are told that Visenya was doing things that should be Aegon's job as a king. For example, when the conquest began, Visenya sailed with her siblings from Dragonstone, and while Aegon began the construction of the Aegonfort, Visenya went to deal with the local lords. She subdued House Stockworth by setting ablaze the roofs of Stockworth. Shouldn't the person intended to rule personally subdue at least the first houses to give them trouble? Aegon's first battle came after that with Aegon's first test, and even after this victory, Visenya was the one to claim the riches of Duskendale, which at that time was the main and biggest port on the Narrow Sea, greatly expanding the Targaryens' resources. Visenya was also the one to go deal with the Vale of Arryn and Cracklow. And yes, it was after the burning of Harrenhal, so the people at the Cracklow of course bent the knee, but it is stated that she took the men there as her own. After the addition of the Ritz and the North to the realm, where all three siblings were involved, it was again Visenya who went to deal with the uprising in the Vale. She returned to the Vale where House Arryn had strengthened their defences, a stronghold had been positioned at the Bloody Gate, and the garrisons of Stone, Snow and Sky had been tripled. Visenya bypassed this host by flying up to the Eyrie with Vhagar and landed in the countryyard where the Arryns surrendered the Vale to Visenya. From the way these events are described, there were whole kingdoms that hadn't even seen Aegon, who was the king. It was Visenya who brought these areas under the rule. Visenya fought alongside Aegon and Rhaenys in the First Dornish War, which lasted for nine years. And after Rhaenys died in Dorne, Visenya and Aegon burned every castle keep and holdfast in Dorne at least once, with the exception of Sunspear and his shadow city. After this whole mess, the crown put bounties on the heads of the Dornish lords, and although quite a few of those lords were killed by assassins, only two of the killers lived to collect the reward. <laughs> in return, the Dornish too hired people to kill Aegon and Visenya, and it was Visenya who killed one who came for her and two that came for Aegon. And after these events, it was she who established the White Cloaks, because when Aegon argued that his guards were still sufficient uh, for his protection, Visenya drew Duck sister, and before his guards could react, she had cut Aegon's cheek. Visenya modeled the vows of the Kingsguard upon the vows of the Night's Watch, and she selected the first seven members herself. The day-to-day -day governance of the realm was also often left in charge of Visenya and Rhaenys, as well as Aegon's counselors. Aegon was kind of a Robert character, apparently. He was the hero and the conquest was named after him, and was interacting with his people who liked him, but other people did the heavy lifting. Meanwhile, when Visenya couldn't get pregnant, people were pointing fingers at her for infertility, even though Aegon was most likely the infertile one, considering that he was sleeping with Rhaenys very, very often, and the one kid they had, Aenys, was rumored to be a bastard of Rhaenys and one of her Lysani entertainers. These rumors stopped when his egg hatched, but again, this is a very dumb reason to dismiss the rumors, considering his mother, Rhaenys, was a dragon rider herself, and we have seen kids from a Targaryen mother and random father whose eggs had just fine. When many young women were presented to Aegon, he refused to even voice his opinion on the matter, and the next year Visenya got pregnant with Maegor. By the way, this is a straight-up speculation of mine, but when people started to talk and say, put her aside, Visenya became pregnant, and she was very sure from the start that the baby would be a son. Considering the fact that Visenya was playing with dark magic, I wouldn't put it past her to have helped the situation with blood magic so she can get pregnant. I really find the whole story very weird. For years they were trying and nothing. And the moment people started to try and marry Aegon off so he can have more kids, she got pregnant. And not only that, she was sure it would be a boy. And the baby was a carbon copy of Aegon. 
I don't know, but all these sound very sus to me. Anyway, and now it's time to tie this together with what I said in the previous video where I talked about Visenya. We see many heroes in songs and legends, and all of them had a magical woman by their side. We even have one in the current timeline, Stannis. Stannis' storyline depends heavily on Melisandre. Without her, he wouldn't be at the wall aware of the others, and neither would he think of himself as the chosen one. Same with countless characters in our story. The Night's King, Bloodstone, Aemond, Duran, Clarence Crabb, Herdon and Harlon, and many more, who had a woman most of the time, one that was meddling with magic, and the reason they were successful and became so powerful in the first place were these women. This archetype is a classic one in the novels, but also in literature and mythology in general. Media, Morgana, and even Merlin embody the archetype of the magical helper. These characters are often the one who provide the hero with the magical aid or guidance necessary to achieve their goals. In many cases, the hero would have not been able to succeed without their help, or even just stay alive. This is particularly true in stories where the hero is inexperienced or lacking in certain skills, and the helper provides the necessary knowledge or tools. Secondly, they often embody qualities and traits that the hero lacks. They're more intelligent, cunning, and spiritually attuned than the hero, and thus are able to provide or assistance that the hero cannot provide for himself. These characters are the ones with the foresight. They are the ones who meddle with magic and have visions, not the hero. Merlin had visions, Midia had visions, Melisandre has them, Thoros has them, Alice had them, so I really think Visenya was the one with the dream. As we saw in essence, Visenya was the real ruler of the kingdom. Aegon traveled and met with his lords, and good for him, that is great, and the reason why his last years were a peaceful period for the realm. But the day-to-day -day matters, it is pointed out, weren't handled by him. He was a people person like Robert was, and he wasn't the one doing the nitty-gritty parts of the ruling. During the conquest, Aegon's only solo work was the Riverlands, which at that point were ruled by the Ironborn, and the Iron Islands. The rest of the areas were secured either when all of them were present, the Stormlands were added by Rhaenys and Doris Baratheon, and the Vale and Cracklow Point, as the first areas in the Crownlands, were secured by Visenya. When the Three Sisters rebelled again, Visenya was the one who went there with Vhagar. The first crowning was done by Visenya, she was the one who named him king. Not a priest, not his favorite wife, but Visenya. We are told that he married her out of obligation and duty, but if he was the one with the dream, the one who was having the last word in the matters, he could have easily said, I'm gonna marry Renice, and the strongest of my sisters, the one I know can carry out anything, will marry someone to secure alliances, or whatever, something that would be very beneficial politically. But no, he married Visenya, who was the firstborn, and was doing way more decision-making than Aegon himself, and even though Visenya herself wasn't that much invested, or in love with Aegon either, as far as I understand, she married him and became a queen in name, while many times she was acting as a king. And these pieces of information come from the maesters who were biased in favor of the man of the bands. Imagine what was going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Visenya was the sibling who was meddling with magic and potions. And as I said before, the magical sidekicks have the visions, not the heroes. It makes much more sense for her to be the one with the dream, and not just that, it also explains many decisions taken after Maegor's birth. If Visenya saw the dream and interpreted this dream as, oh, my son must be the king and the one to continue the line, then all this mess that happened makes much more sense. Aegon was a guy that people liked, trusted, and followed. On top of that, he was a man, something that would be way more digestible by the rest of Westeros. 
He's a great face of the group. If Aegon becomes a king and he marries Visenya first, then their kid would become the next king and problem solved. All three siblings rule together, with the sisters being way more involved, actually, as stated in the world book. The thing is, things didn't go as they planned. Aegon was not very fertile, and it shows neither Rhaenys nor Visenya got pregnant easily. At least Rhaenys should have been able to become pregnant if they kept trying constantly for 10 years and were in love. But the only kid they had was rumored to be another man's. It is obvious Aegon wasn't Robert in that department. And that brings me to the main reason why I believe it was definitely Visenya with a dream. Maegor. Visenya was so insistent on making her son a king, and not only making him a king, but he had to live enough to have a child. Maegor continuing the line was crucial for her and Maegor. I am fairly sure Maegor knew about the prophecy. As a reader, while knowing that this dream exists, it is obvious that Maegor was aware. But looking at the events and the relationship with his father, I doubt Aegon was the one who informed him, so it had to be his mother. Maegor displays all the signs many people with dreams or awareness of prophecies display. He was not a very stable kid. He used to hurt both people and animals, and people were genuinely scared of him when he was angry. He was both spoiled because of his mother and wanted to become Aegon in Aegon's place. He didn't claim a dragon because he wanted Balerion. He had his armor and later his sword and crown too. The guy most likely was very much aware of the prophecy and if he was sure he should be the one to become the king and continue the line, it makes sense for Visenya to be the one with the dream and thus so fixated on making her son king. When he got older, not only did he become the youngest knight at the time, but he was very much involved with matters of war. He was participating in wars and tourneys alike, and in general people were comparing him to his father because of their appearance and fighting skills. But funnily enough, Aenys was closer to Aegon in personality and temperament than Maegor. And then came the succession problem. Aenys, who had married Lady Elisa Velaryon, had a daughter, Reyna, and after her birth the issue arose as to whether Maegor would fall behind her in the line of succession. Visenya suggested a betrothal between Reyna and Maegor to settle the succession issue, but both Reyna's parents, and most importantly the High Septon, protested. When Maegor hit 13, he married Ceres Hightower, aged 23, after the involvement of the High Septon, and their marriage remained barren, something that would become a pattern. Now, Aenys is one of my favorite Targaryens, but the guy was not fit for a king, and he also didn't like it that much, and it shows. Aenys was kind, polite, charming, and soft-spoken, he wished to be loved by everyone and always tried to please others. Because of this, he was teetering, faltering, and hesitating over his decisions, because he didn't want to disappoint someone. All these together are not attributes fit for a ruler, not just for a king, but for any person that has to take serious decisions. My man is husband material, but not king material. On top of that, he made friends easily, he trusted everyone and allowed himself to be easily influenced. When Aegon died and was cremated by Vhagar, there was a family reunion and the coronation of Aenys. Aenys gave Maegor Blackfire, saying he was more fit to wield it and told his brother that they would rule together. Visenya then voiced the opinion that Aenys was unfit to rule and yes, Dick moved, but she wasn't that wrong either. <laughs> That was actually quite a good idea, because Aenys, like Aegon, was a very well-liked person, a guy people liked to follow and interact with, a guy that would convince them to try and solve things peacefully. But Maegor had indeed the strength to say, we have to do this, but, and it's a big but, the guy had no breaks at all. Meanwhile, the problem of the succession was still there. 
Visenya and Maegor were still very much fixated on the fact that Maegor should be the king even though he was younger than Aenys. And the fact that Aenys was rumored to be a bastard and also was unfit to rule didn't help either. Within the first year of his reign, there were four rebellions and my guy was like, but the small folk loves me, why do people feel the need to rebel? And he considered sending ravens to the rebels. Bless his little heart. <laughs> While Aenys was unable to decide on what to do, lords and Maegor started to take matters in their own hands for obvious reasons. One of the rebellions was that of Jonas Arryn, who took captive his brother and head of house Arryn Ronel. Lord Roy strapped Jonas Arryn up in the Eyrie and Maegor flew up there on Valerion to resolve the situation. He didn't arrive in time to rescue Lord Ronel, but he crashed his rebellion. Hoping Maegor would show the mercy, Jonas' supporters flew Jonas through the Mundor, but as we said, Maegor had no chill and hanged all of them. During the suppression of Red Harren's rebellion in the Riverlands, the hand of the King Alan Stockworth died and Aenys made Maegor his hand. But that didn't matter because some years after, Maegor took a second wife and the realm lost its shit. Obviously, the Septons wouldn't perform a wedding between him and Alice Haraway, so Visenya performed the ceremony, one in a Valyrian fashion, and all hell broke loose. The faith was already very much against the practices of the Valyrians. They didn't vibe with polygamy or incest. And you know what? I get the second one. <laughs> it was stated by Maegor himself clearly that the reason for the second marriage was the fact that his first one was childless. I'm not going to analyze everything Maegor did because he deserved a video of his own, but it is obvious that all these weddings happened for one reason only, to produce an heir. He married again and again and again, and to women who already had children and still nothing, it is obvious he was barren. Many of the stuff Maegor did while reigning as a king, and even before that, had as a goal to make kids and continue the line. He took six wives and still no kids. And not only that, but his mother was also very much supporting him and tried the same thing. For crying out loud, after his trial of seven, where he was the victor, but was badly wounded, and by that I mean mortally, Visenya entrusted Maegor's care to Tiana of the Tower after talking with her. She gave the king over to her alone. Can we process how crazy this is? She didn't know her, and the only reason she did that was most likely the fact that Tiana was practicing magic. And after almost a month of being in a coma, Maegor woke up, married Tiana, and made her master of whispers, and she was called the King's Raven. Tiana apparently was so good at her job that discussing secrets in the Red Keep was foolish, as rats and other vermin were her spies. The events surrounding Maegor's awakening again are shady as hell. The dude was almost dead. Visenya and Tiana talked for a while, alone, and then Visenya was like, here, do your thing. And she did, and after only a month, Maegor was up and kicking. Meanwhile, the guy had zero chill even before his death, and was aware of a prophecy he believed involved him personally, and remained in a coma for a month. I can't even imagine what the hell he must have been seeing all the time. Because when people, especially ones with magical blood, have fever dreams or are in a coma, or have a near-death experience, they dream of some very weird messed up stuff, as we have seen in various cases. Maegor, after his waking up, was way worse than before. Not only did he take other four women to try and have kids, he also constructed the underground parts of the Red Keep and didn't just give orders for the construction of these caves maze-like underground levels, but he was also killed everyone involved so they cannot inform people about their construction and the hidden passages. What the hell? <laughs> he definitely saw something of his own while in a coma. And he was also aware even more than before that he needs to produce an heir. He has to be the one to continue the line. 
It is very funny that the only real Mad King we have is Ares because Maegor, after his comeback, wasn't that far from Ares. It seems that he was obsessed with the idea of an heir, was paranoid, and thought that everyone was out to get him. And it is not just he wanted an heir, but he actively tried to stop other males of the line from reproducing. Maegor, from what I understand, was quite spoiled because of Isenia, and on top of that he was getting more and more obsessed about and invested in a prophecy that couldn't be fulfilled by him because of his infertility. I am of the belief that Maegor did indeed kill himself. Imagine being born and having your mother saying to you that you are the real king, you must be the one to continue the line, you have to have kids so they can save the world, and you get obsessed, like many other Targaryens we have seen, with this prophecy because it was your mother that has this dream and after so many marriages and stillbirths, you understand that you cannot have kids and your mother, the person who very much exposed you to this idea and helped you perceive it, died out of nowhere very quickly, under some weirder circumstances. And you still, even after so many tries, cannot have kids. And on top of that, during that time, people started to support Zaharis, and people who were on his side, out of fear and obligation, started to abandon him. He realized he couldn't win. The few men who still supported him proposed him to surrender, because it was a lost cause. I can easily imagine Maegor realizing all this while alone in the throne room and taking his own life. Because at this point, what else can he do? He did not have children. He tried, but he couldn't. He was not to be the king, even though it was what he was told since day one, that he is the next king, the one who is to continue the line. Maegor was not gay mentally, and I'm not talking about the mess that went down with the faith or his battles, but the stuff he did for personal reasons. Hurting animals... The things he did to Tiana when she told him that she was the one poisoning the wives while pregnant, even though it was painfully obvious Tiana wasn't the only reason for these stillbirths. The situation with Viserys, the construction workers, and other people who worked for him. He was paranoid. He was not okay. If a person like that reaches a breaking point, there are not many ways things can go, and all these ways most likely lead to the same result, hurting himself. Was it because he just reached that point of despair and realization? Or was it because, like other Targaryens, he believed he would be reborn again? No one can know, but the result is the same. Visenya, like many other people, made the same mistake. The error crept in from the translation. The dagger says, from my blood would come, blah blah blah. All three siblings have the same blood, they had the same parents and grandparents and so on. It doesn't matter who the person is gonna be as long as one of these three was one of the parents. It doesn't matter whether Aenys was or wasn't Aegon's kid because his mother is Rhaenys and she has the same blood as Visenya and Aegon. So either Visenya had the dream as I think was the case or it was indeed Aegon's dream and Visenya was the one fixated on making Maegor the king because she was the one focused on magic and was sure her son was 100% Aegon's kid. It doesn't ultimately matter. Visenya is a very interesting character that falls under many archetypes we see laid down by Martin in the novels. She was the Melisandre in Aegon Stannis. She was a helper maiden on magical matters and politics. At the same time, she is the grey, broody second son, even though she isn't the second child or a man. Visenya was salty, like Stannis, like Bittersteel, like Victarion, like Aemon, like Daemon, and the list can go on and on and on. Even though Visenya was way better at handling important matters of the realm and was older, she couldn't become a queen because of her sex. She isn't described as unlikable per se, but many people describe her as still, austere, and cold. She was not a person people would gravitate towards, not unlike Stannis. Imagine how salty a person can become. 
Visenya had the dream, Visenya was the oldest, Visenya was doing the dirty work that needed to be done, she was the first wife, and after all this, her kid was again the second son. And the first son not only wasn't her kid, but there was also the possibility it wasn't even Aegon's. And after Aegon's death, people were also calling her a kinslayer and a kingslayer, and the history just repeated itself. Aenys was a sweetheart and likable, but not a good fit for a king. And after everything she did to save Maegor and have her line continue, it just didn't work because prophecies don't work like that. Maegor committed kinslaying, so he can become a king, and things were just a mess. The dance again happened because of usurpation and kinslaying, and after this, the dragons died out. Bloodstone killed and usurped his sister, and that caused the long night. And I'm gonna bet that this was also because of a prophecy, considering every other example I gave happened because of people being fixated on this damn prophecy. <laughs> Prophecies and dreams are a tool. If you use them thinking they are the answer, you are doomed. If you ignore them, you are doomed. If you actively try to stop them or make them come true, you are doomed. Because this is the very nature of a prophecy. The only way it can work is by doing the right choice at the right moment without thinking that much about the vision, but the matters at hand, like Danis. They didn't try to stop the doom, they didn't try to interfere at all actually, but they also didn't stay completely inactive like in the case of Helena's prophecies and dreams. And Dani does the same, she makes the choice she thinks is the best when it is time to face the problem. She doesn't go thinking, two years ago I saw this so I have to do everything to achieve it. And this is it basically, I have nothing else to add, just that prophecies are a staple in storytelling and that they can become very very problematic very very easily. But I really enjoy the way prophecies and dreams are handled in A Song of Ice and Fire, as you have probably guessed. If you enjoyed this video, do not forget to like and subscribe, as well as comment whatever you want to comment about. Until the next one, bye!